if you would, just take a moment. Uh, whether you have been a believer for a long time or whether you come today with no faith, maybe you're here today just seeking, maybe you're here today uh, needing to re- resurrect your life. I want to invite you to pray this prayer this morning, if you would. Say, Jesus, speak to me. Pray that prayer in your heart this morning. Jesus, speak to me. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time this morning. As we celebrate the most holy and most significant day of our faith, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, the day that after you had been placed upon a cross and nailed with nails to the cross that went through your hands and your feet as the blood poured and the life left your body. But yet, on Resurrection Sunday, you rose. It was because of this, and it is because of this, that we celebrate this day. That we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And Lord, I pray for those today who need life restored. Who need salvation brought to them, God. That you would give them eyes to see and ears that hear. That they might receive from your living and holy word. That you might speak to them and transform them by the power of your grace, your blood, and your sacrifice. And Lord, we will give you the praise as we understand the importance of Easter Sunday. In your name I pray. Amen. Good morning and welcome to Resurrection Sunday here at Rock Point. Survey was done recently by George Barna. And as George Barna did the survey, he asked this question. What do you believe Easter means? And unfortunately, 58% of Americans couldn't give this answer. Only 42% of Americans could say this. That it's about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Only 42% of Americans knew that. Only 42% of Americans could understand why we would come together today and worship Christ the Lord, the risen King. So it tells me that we need to do a better job of teaching and understanding the resurrection, understanding how we get to the resurrection. And I have some terms listed in your bulletin this morning. You don't have to look look at them, but you can refer to them later if you would like to. And they simply explain some terminology that sometimes we use that maybe you don't always get or maybe others that you talk to don't always understand, particularly when they read the Scriptures. And I want to share those with you real quick. To be reconciled. Now, certainly when we think about reconciliation, we we think about when two parties uh, re-engage and are able to get along. But in the biblical sense, it's even deeper than that. It means to be made compatible. To be made compatible or to recreate a relationship. So it's the picture that a relationship was dissolved or it had a major offense that separated the two parties. But it was made compatible. It was completely recreated. And when we see that term reconciled in Scripture, that's exactly what it means. Another term is that of atonement, which means to cover 
or in the biblical sense, to payment of one sin, to cover the payment of one sin. It's like you have a teenage girl or boy, and they get a big ticket, and they can't afford to pay it, and you go out and you write a check to cover their offense. That's the picture right there, the covering, except it's a check that you can't write. It's a check for a billion dollars, and you're never going to be able to pay it off. And that's exactly what Christ did for us. Because God is holy and perfect, and He could not look upon sin. There had to be a covering. And only the price of Jesus' blood could cover it once and for all. A third term is substitution. We all know what that is. We all went to school. Uh, it, It means someone to replace. It's a replacement. And then the fourth one, a big word, if you put those two together, that makes a little more sense when we understand that, substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement. Reconciliation of sinful mankind with God through the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So when we use that big terminology, substitutionary atonement, you can just put those little words together and it makes perfect sense as we read Scripture. In Isaiah chapter 52... The Bible tells us in verse 13, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised up and lifted up highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, and his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man from his form, marred beyond likeness. This was a prophecy that was given almost 800 years before Christ would walk this earth. As Isaiah, driven by the Spirit of the Lord and prophesied, about the Messiah, not fully understanding even the words that he was writing. It all made sense nearly 800 years later. Because the truth of it is, for us to understand the resurrection, we must first understand a couple of other things. First of all, the cross. The cross. It's an offensive statement to some. Some look at that and go, I I don't like that. It offends me. While others would maybe look at it and say, well, boy, that's my obligation. The cross. You know, I'm kind of tied to that cross. and It's a good reminder of the things I have to do. Others might look at it and think, oh yeah, Jesus, He was a good guy. He was a good man. Had good manners. Really liked people and really loved people. I hope my son or daughter grows up to be like Jesus. Others would say, I I respect Jesus, and I I respect Him as one of the prophets or one of the ways that people might try to make it to God. I respect that. While others might stop and say, you know, I I don't even really get it. I don't even get the whole cross thing. I'm just kind of ignorant of the whole situation. It doesn't mean anything to me. I'm just kind of ambivalent when I see it. It's just a symbol with little or no meaning to me. And yet, we, when we see the cross, should see that it was the first step for us of being made right before God, of salvation, of forgiveness of sin. The cross represented to the people of that day what was most evil. Matter of fact, you had to have a pretty, amazing, a pretty major offense. Certainly treason was one. To be nailed to a cross. It was considered the place where the evil people got placed. And God in His infinite mercy showed us that the symbol that people equate most with evil is where God Himself would go as man and die. It was a picture 
of death that would cover no matter what sin you have ever committed. The cross, a necessary ingredient for our salvation and for the resurrection to ever occurred. Christopher Hitchens, who is probably the most renowned atheist in the United States, was doing a lot of debates after he wrote the book, God is Not Great, Why Religion Poisons Everything. Uh, Christopher Hitchens has even done a debate here in Dallas. He's done with many. And uh, his principle is God doesn't exist, and you're simply being misled, and it just causes harm to the world and to life. And he was debating many people, but he debated, he debated a lady named Marilyn Sewell, who is a Unitarian minister who basically believes everything uh, Unitarians do. And just whatever you believe, that's good. Uh, and as he was debating her and talking to her, Sewell said, you know, the religion you cite in your book is generally the fundamentalist faith of various kinds. You see, I'm a very liberal Christian, and I don't take the stories of Scripture as true. I don't believe that the doctrine of atonement, that Jesus died for our sins example, to be true or accurate. Do you make any distinctions between Christians like me and those fundamentalists or Christians, or those conservative Christians who believe all those things? And Hitchens actually has some pretty good theology. And this is an atheist saying this. Here's what he says. He said, I would say to you that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and Messiah and that he rose again from the dead and by his sacrifice your sins are forgiven, then you're really not a meaningful Christian in any sense of the word. That's an atheist. And how he defines Christianity. So does God Almighty define what it means to be a follower of Christ. In Isaiah 53:10, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me, with it if you would turn with me to Isaiah 53:10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. The cross it uses that word crush, and incidentally, we see that word found in Genesis 3:15, where the scripture speaks of how the head of the serpent, the head of Satan would be crushed. So we see an allusion to it. Then we see right here in Isaiah 53, we see the prediction of how the Son of God would be crushed for our sins. Then we see in the Gospel that literally He is crushed. In body, soul, spirit, and mind, we see the crushing of Christ upon the cross. And then in Romans chapter 16, verse 20, the Bible tells us that and then Satan will be crushed. The culmination. So it's a term, a thread that we see, a theme that we see throughout the Scripture. And it said, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering. A guilt offering. A guilt offering was an offering that was required to pay for one sin. It was one that restitution had to be given because you were certainly guilty. You were knowingly guilty. And your offense had to be paid for it and you had to make restitution. And that's exactly what Christ Jesus has done for us. He will see His offspring prolong His days. His offspring, those who will be followers of His, the church today, and the will of the Lord will prosper in His hand. And after the suffering of his soul, he will make light of life and be satisfied. The resurrection. The cross is the way 
in which God demonstrated His love for us. The way that mankind could know that evil has been dealt with. It was the sacrificial offering demanded by God so that we might enter in into a new covenant. A blood covenant. Blood. Why blood? The Bible tells us in Leviticus 17.11, For the life of a creature is in the blood. It is in the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Hebrews 9.22 said, Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Well, what does blood do for us today? Well, I, I asked one of our cardiologists here at our church uh, to help me with that, and he gave me a list of things that blood does for us today. Well, it, for one thing, it transports metabolistic waste. It transports the waste and the toxins from our body. Do you realize that blood is one of the best cleansing agents around? As a matter of fact, there's nothing else that we could have in our body that would fully suffice for our need to be cleansed and to be able to prepare or be able to pull off the function that blood does as it helps remove toxins from our body. Without it, we would certainly die. So, one of the things it does is it removes waste. It also transports heat. It, it brings oxygen into our body and helps expel carbon dioxide out. It brings nutrients into our body and, and shares them with the organs that need them. It also uh, spreads the hormones around our body so that we can be properly balanced. It also gives us fluid balance. Another thing that it does is it defends the body against harmful organisms. Now, one other thing that he shared with me that I, I was not aware of that it does is it relays information about your internal and external environment to your organs. Now, I didn't know that. Let me read that to you again. It relays information about your internal and external environment to your organs. We can see that blood is a necessary component of our life. It is the symbol of of life. And God said in His Word, in Leviticus 17 and in Hebrews 9, that the shedding of blood must be given in order for sins to be forgiven. God has provided a substitutionary blood sacrifice for mankind through Jesus. And God reconciled mankind to Himself through the sacrificial blood atonement of Jesus Christ. So we see that it's necessary for a cross, it's necessary for a blood sacrifice, and it's necessary for a Savior. A Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. In 53.10 we see that the Lord was crushed for us, that He made a guilt offering for us. But we also see that after He suffered in verse 11, that He will see the light of life, the resurrection. It's not just that He suffered. It's not just that He died. It's not just that He bled. But on the third day, He rose. And over 500 witnesses could give an account of what occurred. That in fact, He rose. Today, He is risen. We serve a risen and living Savior. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is the oldest creed in Scripture that we have. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I have preached, 
Otherwise, you have believed in vain. And here's the creed right here, the oldest creed that we have that goes all the way back to somewhere between 37 and 40 A.D., just a few years after Christ died. Here's how it reads. It says this, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised, and on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. What a great statement. What a great understanding that we don't have to hope or wonder or wonder or even just imagine if the statements of Christ are true. Why? Because Jesus Christ revealed Himself. Because Jesus Christ showed Himself. Because Jesus' life still changes lives a day. He took a ragtag band of twelve disciples who were not respected, who were not given any credence, and He transformed their life. Those who were willing at first to deny Him so were transformed that they were willing to die a martyr's death. Something happened. As you look around the congregation today, there are those who were not raised in church. There were those who have been far from Christ, but their lives have been turned around and transformed. Something's happened. And I'll tell you what that something is. It's the transformation of Jesus Christ in their lives. The transformation of their sins being forgiven and them being reconciled. A relationship recreated with God Almighty. There was a man one time uh, named Jim Fisher who decided to just do a little, uh, a little, I guess, survey or a little experiment. And what he did is he took note cards... And he passed them out to people he didn't know, and he, and he passed them out in public places and put some instructions sometimes in, in places that he didn't even go. And he just said, I, I would like for you to write down a secret sin that you have and just write it on this card and then mail it to me anonymously. And he had a postcard uh, with a stamp on it, a little blank card, and just stick it in the mail. You don't have to sign it. And he would pass these out, and he passed them out for about two years. And he received thousands and thousands back with people who had placed their sins on those cards. Sins that they felt like they just couldn't deal with. Sins that just seemed to continually bother them. And when he got them back, he was pretty astonished. He was astonished that people carried that kind of burden around with them for so long. And that they would be willing to just admit it and send it in. You know, we serve a God today who takes our sins and forgives them and removes them and cleanses them by His blood. The truth of it is, is that we can't do it ourselves. In ourselves, we'll never be good enough. We'll never come to that place where we feel like, you know, I've, I've overcome that sin. I, I've been able to really get forgiveness now. I feel good about it. I, I'm not going to let it bother me anymore. Because the truth of it is, we just keep on sinning. Maybe you're here today and you can identify with some of these. Some of these cards. I really want to die. I'm prejudiced. Maybe as you see some of those bricks and some of these sins, it reminds you of the sins that you've committed. The Bible tells us this. It says, He who believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord revealed? 
I've stolen from my employer. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us. Nothing in his appearance that he should desire of him. I'm angry with God. Surely he took upon our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. I'm a hypocrite. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that was brought has brought us peace, was placed upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. I'm addicted to porn. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears, he was silent and did not open his mouth. I can't stand my spouse. He was assigned to a grave with the wicked and with the rich in death, though he had no violence, had done no violence, nor any deceit found in his mouth. I hate someone in this church. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And through, through him, the Lord makes his guilt offering. I have a drinking problem. And after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. I have no faith. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils among the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. I don't know if I believe anymore. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for our transgressions. People think I've stopped lying, but I haven't. The Bible tells us that we are all sinners. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But God demonstrated His love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That whosoever will confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised Him from the dead shall be saved. Whoever would come to the place where they recognize, I can't save myself, I'm not good enough, I'm not moral enough, I need Jesus. And I believe that Jesus died upon a cross for me. I believe that His blood can cleanse me. And I believe that if I ask Him to forgive me and to come in my life, that He will transfer my sin to Him. And I will be forgiven. If I will place my faith totally in Him and accept Him as my Lord. Have you done that? Have you received the grace and mercy of the living Lord? I want to invite you to do that today. But don't leave here without responding to God.
Father, thank You for this time. and Thank You, Lord, that while we were still sinners, You died for us. You loved us so much that You gave of Yourselves. Of Yourself, Lord, I pray this morning that You would help us to see our need for You, our need for forgiveness, our need for reconciliation, because our sin has blocked our communication with You. But he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. I pray this morning, Lord, that you would help us to choose Jesus, to choose forgiveness and to choose life, and to experience the resurrected and living Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.